All right. Take your Bibles on your phones or uh, if you brought a Bible church or you can get one under your seat and turn them to Ephesians chapter 6. We have been walking through this idea that Paul puts before us on spiritual warfare. And today is probably uh, the most relevant in the sense that this is something that we all struggle with, this idea of peace. And in the last 15 to 20 years counseling people, I will tell you there is a peace deficit. And uh, it is something that we have to offer the world. We'll get into that in a little while. Probably more than anything else that we can put on display on all of our imperfections as followers of Christ, that we have this thing that everyone else around us is starving for. And it truly is inner peace from Christ, not from ourselves. And so I want to open up with this idea. A few months ago, not even that long ago, we talked about my favorite Disney movie. And do you remember what it was if you were in church? It was something very masculine. It was The Little Mermaid. And so to follow that idea of masculinity, I want to show you a picture of a Disney character, and I want you to tell me who it is. All right, you don't need to know her actual name. It can just be her status. So I want you to just, we're just going to leave that picture up because we're talking about the shoes of the gospel of peace this morning. Who knows? Who is that? I feel like I'm doing a kid's sermon. Who is that, right? That is Cinderella's, not just sister, that's Cinderella's evil, one of her evil stepsisters. And she's trying to do something that's physically impossible. Uh, she's got a rather large foot, but she has a dream of being, uh, having a petite little foot and being a princess. And so she's trying to take Cinderella's glass slipper, and she's trying to marry the prince, and she's trying to put that thing on her foot, uh, much to her chagrin. And she's doing all that can be done. I love this, I love this cartoon. I love the, the mice in the cartoon. I love Gus Gus. And I love the cat. And uh, it's just something that always reminds me of my childhood. And so I, I asked Kara, uh, text her late last night. She didn't get it till today. I said, hey, put this picture on the screen. I want to start with this. Uh, she's trying to do something that can't be done. She has a failed objective. She's trying to put the wrong shoes on her feet. And so you see in this picture that her shoulder's probably exhausted, her toes are probably bleeding, and uh, you know, her foot's curled up. And if she walks in the shoes that are on the wrong feet, she's going to have blisters. She's going to have a disdain for life. Have you ever had to try to wear a shoe that didn't fit? I think mean, maybe it's out of your own pride and, and you're a female and you want your feet to be smaller and you're like, what size are you? I'm a size six and you're like a size eight and so you just wear these sixes. For me, it was the opposite inverse reality. When I was in high school, I was growing. I was growing fast and I thought, man, my, I'm growing and so I have to have bigger shoes and my mom always said, your shoes don't fit so we got to go get you new shoes and that was great and so I'd go get new shoes but after a while, I stopped growing. My feet stopped growing so I didn't have to size up. And I remember just getting all sorts of blisters playing basketball because I thought I wore a 13 when in reality I wore like a 12. And so I was always just, my feet were raw. And so finally I realized, hey, I just have the wrong shoes on. And my point is this, there is a pain in wearing the wrong shoes. And so Paul has been saying, these are the things you do that are non-negotiable when you want to push back on the attacks of the enemy because the reality of the attacks of the enemy on our life is they are there. The devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus comes to bring life. And so you have these two opposing angles in which you are caught in the middle if you're a follower of Christ. And so he wants to destroy you. There is a natural built-in conflict. You are on a collision course with the enemy. 
And so you have things that you have to wear. And so week one, you have to wear the truth. You don't just know the truth. You put it on. You never take it off. It's not prescribed as needed. Last week, it was you wear righteousness. And then the third thing that you never take off before we get to those things that you put on prescribed as needed. But the third thing that you never take off is you put on the right shoes. You wear the shoes of peace. You wear the shoes of peace. So here it is, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Now, here it is. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and here it is today, and the shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we're going to answer a couple questions. Number one, what's the purpose of this peace? It does something. In the midst of a massive peace deficit, All around us, Paul says what it does. It it makes you ready. That on your feet, you have this footwear, which is the readiness for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of peace. And so to be ready for something means that when you are attacked as a soldier, that you have a preparedness about you that allows you to stand firm in the midst of the attack. And so if you look at the Roman soldier, which is what this is kind of giving a framework for understanding to the New Testament believers, you would have had a shoe when you went on to battle. And the reason you would have been prepared is because it goes back to that football analogy. It would have been literally like a cleat. You would have had something within the sandal, within the shoe that would have then anchored you into the ground so that when you're getting battered around, you don't fall, you don't, you don't fall by the wayside, but you stand firm. You can stand firm in the attack. And so the devil knows something. The devil knows that if you're in Christ, that you're following him, that you're obeying him, that you're wearing the armor, then in a sense you're untouchable. But if he can get you to move, if he can get you to fall, if he can knock you over, then he puts you in a vulnerable position. He gets you off your game. If he can remove you from a place of stability, if you have slipped, then all of a sudden now you're a soldier who's vulnerable to be killed, to be overtaken by the enemy. And so the reality is this. This is maybe another way to say it, and I'm following a study on Right Now Media where I'm getting some of this information, and uh, there was a quote that I liked from Right Now Media. I want to read it to you. The essence of the attack is this, to keep you from God's purposes, God's will, God's blessing of manifesting in your life. And so the devil already knows something spiritually. The devil already knows that he has no power over you if you're in Christ, right? It's not because of you. It's because of Christ. He knows that he doesn't have that power. And so he knows this spiritually. He can't remove your promises of God. He can't take you from a place of eternity with God because the cross has done the work. The resurrection has made everything new spiritually in your life. And so the devil's goal is not to keep you out of heaven. He can't do that if you're a follower of Christ. But here's what he can do, and you need to pay attention to this. He might not be able to take you out of heaven, but he can take this life and he can create hell on earth. That's something that if you're outside the boundaries that God has established for your life and you're not wearing peace, he can absolutely make your life 
hell on earth. And so there are ways that he does that. And these are things that we want to write down. These are things that we want to know. What are the ways that the devil attacks peace? Well, the first big one is the antithesis. It's the biblical definition of peace would be calm and tranquility of soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. That would be a Greek definition. But the opposite of peace is the way that he attacks peace. And this is what's running rampant in culture all around us. And in fact, the stats are, are very glim. That when it comes to psychiatric disorders, the number one is anxiety, and then number two, anxiety, depression, and the number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they are falling by the wayside, paling in comparison to this issue of the antithesis of peace, which is anxiety. And so when the devil wants to attack you to get you from your, your foundation in Christ and your steadiness and your, and your sure-footedness, what he does is he doesn't make you anxious because only you can do that in your own sin by, by falling away from the promises of God. But once you do fall away, once you do let your guard down, once you do have the wrong shoe on, because it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to wear a shoe, it's just a matter of what shoe you put on. Once you decide that you're not going to wear those shoes of peace, now he has a massive opportunity to attack. And here's what I told you a few weeks ago that I want you to track with. The major attack of Satan in your life will always be between your ears. If, if he has you at a mind level where you are thinking thoughts that are not of God, he has you. So anxiety plays a massive theme in the conversation of how we don't wear these shoes of peace. But he attacks with anxiety, which then leads to fear. I don't know what you're scared about, but here's some common themes that I see. Maybe it's the future or your family or maybe it's your health or your finance. And then you, you probably, like, like most of us, have common ways of dealing with that issue in your life. And so then you have coping strategies and maybe it's alcohol, sexual addictions, codependent relationships, short-sighted, short-term fixes. Like, like how many of you in the midst of your anxiety and fear, this is when I talk about short-sightedness, how many of you are thinking in the midst of your angst, you know, life really should be perceived through an eternal lens where the kingdom of God is here and fast upon us. It's already but not yet. And so I understand in my theological base, and I'm living in this in the midst of my anxiety and fear, that life is to be seen through the spectrum of eternity. And in the blink of an eye, I'm going to be with Jesus and it's all going to be okay. How many of you in the midst of your anxiety walk in that? One of you in the back, right? No one does. That was a trick question. You, you can't have peace if you live with a short-sighted lifestyle. Like, like maybe here's another way of saying it. What if, and when you're talking about peace and the lack of peace in your life and the lack of peace in my life, have you ever watched an action movie multiple times because it's just better than everything else? Like, it's Christmas, and I know it's not a good movie, but Die Hard has to come on because, you know, Bruce Willis used to be a, a stud. And you watch the TV version because you're a Christian, right? We'll, we'll go there. But, uh, but how many of you, like, have a movie that's your movie, men, that it's an action movie in your life? And every so often, I, I've kind of beat the war drum on, on Braveheart. Well, we're not going to go there anymore. I used to always talk about Braveheart. But you have that movie, and it's on your top ten. You got a top ten? It's an action movie? This is what it's like living in fear and anxiety. It's just like watching a movie you've already seen. 
Because when you serve Christ, the script has already been written. And the irony of that is it's like a movie or a script in your life that's already played out. You already know that the good guy wins. You already know that the bad guy gets defeated. You already know spiritually that there's a lake of fire and it's set apart for Satan and the demons. You already have seen the end story in the 20-something chapters of Revelation. Yet when you play it out in your mind in real time, God is exposing the lack of faith that you have in your life that results in a lack of peace that you have in your life, a lack of truth, of the belt of truth that you wear in your life, and the righteousness that you choose to put on. It's exposing and being manifested in the anxiety and the fear that you're walking in because honestly, you must not believe that the script has already been written. Amen? And, and it's not judgment because I'm guilty of it too. But if I really believe that Christ has already won at the cross when he rose from the dead, given us the Holy Spirit to walk in, that the script has already been written, the devil is defeated, the devil is a liar, then all of these things that I worry about, my future, my family, my health, and how can you worry about your health if you know that as soon as you die, you get a new body? And how many of you worry about it? And so the enemy plays mind games with you. How many would we, of us would really be scared if we truly believed that we already knew the end of the story? It's like watching Die Hard, and you watch it for the 10th time, and Bruce Willis, I probably shouldn't be quoting Die Hard, but, but it just came to my mind like right now, so I'll go with it. And he's walking on the glass, and his feet are bleeding, and you're just trembling, biting your fingernails as if you don't know that the bad guy dies in the end. That's, that's how we walk when we walk in fear and anxiety. And so God, God tells us a way to live, and the enemy schemes against us. And the way that he attacks, or the way he attacks peace is he allows us to walk in the anxiety that we choose to walk in and the fear that we choose to walk in. Or maybe it's, you know, these are all kind of correlated. Or maybe it's just doubt. We've been saying week after week, between the ears is the devil's attack. And so what he does is he just plants seed, subtle seeds of doubt in your life where you realize that you cannot trust God and that you need to trust yourself. And doubt is a downward spiral. And you have a choice to whether or not you're going to believe the truth of the gospel, specifically the truth of all the pages of Scripture where the Bible clearly talks about not living in angst, not living in fear, believing upon God even when that thing is hard to do, and when you doubt, it's like a downward spiral. Doubt creates more doubts, creates more doubts. Fear creates more fear, creates more fear. Anxiety creates more anxiety, creates more anxiety. And so something has to shift for the enemy not to run wild between your ears. Right? There are things that we can believe and tell ourselves in the midst of all of these things happening around us. Which then ultimately leads to this other reality. And that's just good old-fashioned Midwestern self-reliance. That, that I can somehow, because I have these doubts, because I want to live in this anxiety, because I want to trust not the pages of Scripture and the truth of the gospel, but I want to trust the enemy or myself, then somehow I can live in this self-reliance. That has absolutely been my story. I don't know where you're at with that. But when I look at the evidence, it's mounting against me that I have a need to control. In the middle of this reality that when I said yes to Christ, what I said yes to was an overarching principle of surrender. And so peace is what everyone wants, but few people have. 
And so as I'm pursuing the peace of the gospel, putting the shoes on, something that is mandated, it's not recommended, is there's something that I have to do. I have to let go of that need to control, which is creating more anxiety. Anxiety is causing me to control, and then that control is creating more anxiety. And so round and round and round it goes, and someone has to get off the hamster wheel. And self-reliance has not worked well for me. And I'm not trying to use this as a personal counseling session, but I'm just trying to relate to you. How many of you can concede, and this will be the last time because my wife hates when I have people raise their hands in church. How many of you conceded that control is a central theme in your life? Who, who in here struggles with anxiety? Right? About half of you are raising your hand, and the other half of you, 20% of those more, are lying, lying, lying. Control is a central theme that's self-destructing in your life. If there's no surrender, there's no peace. Surrender is the starting point. Self-reliance is the downward spiral. And so God will expose these things in your heart. That lack of peace could be the biggest blessing in your life. Because it's exposing something that has to shift. Are any of you, I lied one more, are any of you like just self-diagnosed control freaks? It takes one to know one. And so here, here's what happens. Well, how do you know that? Well, because it's like the same for everyone. But here's what happens. So when I'm anxious, when I'm scared, I have this need to control when I have this doubt, I then decide to rely on myself. And, and here's how it kind of all unfolds. When I need to cope, what I'll do is I'll chase, I'll fixate, and I'll distract myself. And, and they're not things that the world would deem as, or the, that Christians would even deem as bad, which is why I've allowed myself to do. I mean, it can be seemingly innocent things. I will create a new fixation in my mind when I'm living in all of this anxiety where I will chase something that's temporary and fleeting. It could be like, well, you know, I, I need to get, you know, my, like I just bought a, a new used car for my wife. And I probably looked at about 5,000 cars on Craigslist because there's nothing shady that ever happens on Craigslist. And uh, I, was, I was trying to find the best deal ever. It was like a wrecked car that's been fixed. And, you know, I tried to travel to go get it. And, and I was thinking, well, why am I so fixated on that right now? Well, number one, our, her car has like 200,000 miles. So that's one reason. But the other reason is there are these uncontrollable variables or seemingly uncontrollable variables in my life right now that I can't control and I'm feeling anxious. And so what I'll do, maybe, have you done this? I'll fixate on something that I can control that's fleeting. And it's taken me 43 years to even figure out how I tick, and I'm still a work in progress. And so in my self-reliance, I'll just chase something. I'll self-medicate with seemingly something that's innocent. And that's kind of best-case scenario, right? Because some of us, like there are things as a pastor I know that I can't self-medicate over here, and I can't self-medicate over here, so I'll just chase something else. But then the problem is this. It's just a distraction. It's like I told you a few weeks ago. You go to the dentist and you have an infection and you have a tooth that's rotted out and you don't want to have it pulled. And so you say, well, why don't you just give me some pain medication? Well, what's the problem with that? It's just masking the problem. It's just creating a short-term fix to something that's going to ruin your mouth if you don't get it taken care of. You, you have to get an extraction. You have to uproot it. You have to deal with it. And so what you're doing is you're chasing the temporary instead of dealing with what's really going on in your life. What's really going on in your life is not that you don't have shoes on, you have the wrong shoes on. 
You're like, you're like Cinderella. Let's put that picture back on the screen if you have. If, if live stream's not asleep. There we go. They're awake. How many of you, when it comes to control in your life, you look just like this? I don't even know her name. She just, I just call her Cinderella's stepsister. When it comes to control in your life, this is what you're trying to do. Jesus is saying, put on my peace. Wear it all the time. You're like, no, I got it. I'm going to search for a car on Craigslist. That's going to bring me my peace. That's my Novocaine. All right, no, I got it. I'm going to jump on social media, and I'm going to see how many likes I can get so that I can feel validated. No, I got it. Let's just get more real. I go home at night, and I justify it because I'm a hardworking man. I don't have one beer. I have two, three, four, five, and all of a sudden, I am self-medicated where the peace is temporary and fleeting, and here's what's really going on. There's an agitation because there's spiritual blisters on your feet. And there's an agitation in, your, in, in the way that you're operating because you're putting on all of these unhealthy coping strategies and they don't fit. I mean, look at her face. Spiritually, that's the face that I wear when I'm not putting on the peace of God. And, and so here's how you know, and this is something that you can document, this is something you can come back to. Here's how you know it's the world's peace versus the gospel of peace. The world's peace is momentary, the world's peace is entertainment, the world's peace is distraction, and the, world, the difference between the world's peace and God's peace is the world's peace is outside in, and God's peace is inside out. And if you have any soul to you, that's where you say amen. Thank you. All right, ready? <laughs> I know nothing will ever change, and I'm not the most outspoken person. Yeah, I am. That's a lie. But the world's peace, this is the difference. This is the price of admission in doing life this morning. This is how you know the difference. The world's peace is outside in. It's that thing. It's that painkiller that you're taking in to try to soothe your soul, to coddle your soul. When the peace of God never operates from the outside in, but always operates from the inside out. That that main thing that's broken within me is self and the remedy and the cure is also within me when I said yes to Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in my life. And like we've been saying, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives somewhere. It lives right in me. And so that has to come out. That there is no distraction in the world that's going to bring peace to your soul. It's just going to be Novocaine for your tooth. It's a prescription that has no capacity to cure. God's peace is from him. God's peace is through him. The world's peace is always outside in. And so instead of having peace, we just live with pretense. We put on, for everyone else to see, this false sense of peace. And it manifests in pictures on social media, through posts. It has a per persona, but then you, you get behind the veil and you get in the trenches with people, and you realize, man, this is just a facade. This is just a facade. And so we don't wear it. We just fake it. And so then here's the goal. And this is what I wanted to tell you. This came to me at 12 o'clock a.m., all right? So I didn't sleep. And it's common sense, and it's everything I've been saying, but I just wanted to kind of have a few things that we take away, that we go, you know, I can tell that to someone else, and that makes sense to me, and I can look at that picture, not that one, but, you know, the one before, and, and I can kind of have this mental picture in my mind of how things change, and the reality is this. I was thinking about the entirety of what this means, and then we're going to get into biblical peace in just a second, but the reality is this. You can't put on the right shoes until you take off the wrong shoes. 
I'm going to tell you that again. You, you, if you want this to change in your life, everyone's wearing shoes. No one's going out barefoot and walking around in the dirt. Everyone's got the shoes on. You cannot have biblical peace that we're going to define with Scripture in just a second. You cannot put on the right shoes until you take off the wrong shoes. You can't put on fake peace and then expect to somehow wear real peace over it. Let me tell you a quick story. I, I, I love a deal. I know that's shocking. You, you, you know that about me if you know me. I love a deal. And so uh, my, my son's about to have a birthday, and I decided something. I'm going to get him a pair of Jordans for his birthday. Like, I'm going old school. The problem is how much they cost. And so I went, well, I can't do that. I can do that, but I don't want to because I don't love them that much. But um, I was looking around, and then all of a sudden, like, I was scrolling through my fake Facebook account with my two friends, and it advertises directly to me. And what would you know? It's like a pair of Jordans. It's food for the soul. It's painkiller for the tooth. And uh, it's, the, it's one of my distractions to buy a pair of shoes because I'm a girl like that. And so I, I like shoes. And, and so I'm scrolling and, and looking at shoes. And then I find a pair of old school Jordans for like 90 bucks. And I thought to myself, those are perfect. They're normally 500, but for some reason, these are 90. And I bought them and I brought them home. And my kids looked at them. And then between the time that I bought them and the time I decided I was going to give them a gift, I decided that I was just going to keep them. And so I start wearing them. And my kids' friends see them. And do you know what they point out to me? Like three little reasons why these Jordans are from China and they're not the real thing. Because that, and they say, well, I'm like, well, they look the same. And they're like, yeah, but they're going to fall apart. Like I have a friend that has these. They fall apart in like two months. And, uh, you know, whatever. At least I could look cool for two months. But, but the reality is this, if I want to put on the real thing that's going to last and sustain from the greatest basketball player that's ever lived on planet earth, I have to wear the real thing because the fake thing is temporary and it's going to fall apart. And the thing is right now I'm basking in the glory. I'm wearing them around town. People that don't really know anything think that I've got some J's on and I'm going to wear them. And when they fall apart, they fall apart. But I just know that, that they're not going to last because they're not the real thing. And if I ever want to see this thing change, i got to take off the wrong shoes. You can't put on the right ones until you take off the wrong ones, or you're going to live like Cinderella's stepsister. You're going to live by the definition of insanity, doing the exact same things in your life that don't bring peace, that just bring this hostility of your heart, and God's using that to show you what you really need. But you're going to live by the definition of insanity, of doing the same thing over and over again, and then expecting different results in your life. If you want to wear the gospel of peace, you have to take off the wrong shoes. And you put on the right shoes. And here are the right shoes. It's the third point. It's biblical peace. It's not counterfeit. It's the real thing. And, and here's how I would define it. Biblical peace, when you look at the totality of Scripture, and there's a lot to say about peace, it isn't peace when there's calm. It isn't peace when there's calm, because when everything's calm, you're supposed to have peace. When everything is going as planned, it's not really a virtue to have peace. You just become human, and that's how that works. And so biblical peace isn't when everything is going right. Biblical peace is when everything is wrong, when the thunder and the waves are roaring, when nothing looks right. And then you're still singing the praises of God in your life, and you're not doing so in a way that's not transparent. 
Right? You're doing something so in a way where that's just flowing from your Holy Spirit inside out because you know the script. You know how the story ends in your life. Your parents are going through a divorce. You still have peace. Your relationship's on the rocks. You still have peace. Your job and your employer are a train wreck. You still have peace because it's something from inside, not outside. That, that's biblical peace. You don't know if you have biblical peace. You're like, well, what, do I have biblical peace or do I have circumstantial peace? You don't know if you have biblical peace until things are not peaceful. That's how you know. Tony Evans, the guy that I just can't get enough of right now, an old school preacher, tells a story of two painters. And the painters were very talented, and they kind of narrowed it down to the final two. And they both had them, this art gallery, had them paint a picture of peace to win a painting contest. There's some inordinate amount of money to paint an accurate picture of peace. And so the first painter went first, and he drew a picture of a lake. And the sun was shining across still water. It had a shepherd along the shoreline walking sheep. And trees were on the other side with birds that were, sing or that were singing. And there was calm and tranquility. There was ease and there was peace. And he put it on display and everyone went, man, that's a good picture. The second person took a different approach, started drawing. And all of a sudden you see a black sky with lightning you see thunder roaring and waves going crazy, boats being tossed about, trees blowing. But in the corner left-hand side of the painting was just a little bird on a rock on the edge of the lake. And that little bird was standing on that rock with its mouth open. And it was just singing songs, chirping. And there was light coming through the dark clouds pointed right at this bird. And the people went back and forth as to which one represented peace better. And ultimately, the second one won out. It wasn't even close. Because that's the reality of peace in our life. Biblical peace is not when everything's okay and you're calm. Biblical peace is when everything around you is falling apart, yet you are still saying, like the psalmist, right, my God is good. My God is faithful. My God will carry me through. That's biblical peace. Paul had it. Jesus had it. This is what Paul says. He's in prison. He says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all understanding, that's going to be on your screen. Here's a sign of biblical peace, that you have something that doesn't make sense because your world does not justify the experience that you're walking through. Paul's in chains. Paul's going to die. And he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because the peace that God gives is a peace that you don't understand. And the reason you don't understand it is outside of the Holy Spirit working inside out. It just does not make sense in your life. Why, why is that person singing when they should be trembling? Because God gave them the ability to have peace. And maybe they don't even understand the, the magnitude of, of how they can have it. But, he, but here's what I can tell you for sure. The best form of evangelism to be sharing the gospel with others is probably even less about what you say and more about the magnet that you attract when you have peace in a world that's peaceless. I can tell you with certainty in the trenches, the number one issue around us is angst. People are miserable. I, I was having this conversation with my middle child at Wendy's and he sometimes doesn't quite track with my weird brain. And I'm sitting there eating french fries, 
And I said to Jed, I said, how many of these people around me and you right now do you think are miserable? And he said, I don't know, classic Jet response. And I said, most of them, because I'm tainted, because I work with people. I said, most people, Jet, don't have peace. And they are searching and they are scrambling. But the beauty of the gospel is when the world is falling apart around you, that there's this universal need that will never change. You want to know why the gospel is going to go forward strategically? Well, number one, because Jesus said it would. And he said, I'm going to build this church and it's going to be the rock. It's going to be the foundation. It's going to be the disciple-making machine. Right? But the reason I know intuitively that the gospel will always go forward is because we'll always have something in Christ when we're truly in Christ that no one else around us has and that everyone wants. People are in a peace deficit that is just wrecking their heart. And they're sitting in the midst of that storm, and they're not a bird on a rock, man. They're, a, they're an absolute bird drowning in the ocean of pain. And so Paul says, in the midst of my prison sentence, in the midst of my death sentence, I absolutely have this peace that I want for you that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Jesus says it like this. He, he is getting persecuted all around. He is going to a cross. He's about to wear the thorns. He's about to absolutely be devastated by the consequences of the evil hearts of man that put him on the cross. And he said, peace I leave with you. He's talking to his people. He says, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Biblical peace lives in this reality that your heart cannot be troubled, regardless of your circumstance and your environment. Jesus puts it on display. Colossians 3.15, Paul's talking to the Colossian church, and he says, and let the peace of Christ rule, rule, underline that if you underline things in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So biblical peace does something. It allows uh, you the ability to let it rule in your heart, and that Greek word translates to something. It's the word like umpire. And what do umpires do? They have rules to them. They call the game. So the peace of God makes the call in your life. And so life is full of choices. You can go this way or that way. But the peace of God, the Holy Spirit within you, mandates that it rules over you. And so it speaks truth to you through the pages of Scripture and through your prayer time and your conversation with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then it rules over you. And so your job is to align with truth and God's view on the matter. And once you have God's truth, you put on his righteousness. And once you put on his righteousness... Now you put on the shoes, and because you are walking in truth, and because you're guarded in righteousness, now you can have the peace that everyone around you doesn't have. It rules over you in authority like an umpire who calls strike three, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so God is saying to us this morning, as we're now beginning to close this thing out, I want your feet. All of us deal with anxiety, but if it rules over you, it's telling on you. You tracking with that? All of us deal with anxiety, guilty as charged, but if it's consistently ruling over you, it's telling on you. And it's God's blessing because God is showing you that things are not okay so that you can have the peace that he's called you to have. John 16:33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Jesus tells us what we already know. In this world, 2,000 years ago, as if something's new under the sun, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So here's what biblical peace does. It overcomes. 
that you have a victory in Christ, that you do not have to be battered around by the waves that come at you. And so to have peace, you overcome. And the reason you can overcome is because of the last point, that you have peace because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is simple. It means good news. In fact, there's something interesting that I learned this week about the word gospel in the Greek. The word gospel in the Greek is used all throughout the New Testament, but in the Greek literature around surrounding the Bible, it was hardly ever used. And the reason it was hardly ever used is because it meant something with such magnitude that it never fit. So it wasn't just good news, it was great news. It was great news despite everything going on. And so it was like saying the word awesome, although we've hijacked that word too. To say good news in this Greek language was rare because it was like saying, this is the best news that you've ever heard. And so you don't get the best news you've ever heard through everyday life. You, you have an ice cream cone that's really good and you don't say, oh, that's the best ever. I mean, you just say, well, that's good. No, the gospel means it's the best thing that you've ever heard. And so it was used all throughout the pages of the New Testament but rarely used within the Greek world around it. And so the way that we have peace is from the gospel. The gospel is Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died the death that we should have died. Jesus rose again so that we can have life, and now we get eternity with him. That, that's kind of the hijacked version. That's all true, but it's true plus another reality. Because the way that we live, and track with this, I know that this is going on a little bit, and we're about to close, but the reason that's so critical for us today is we have hijacked the simplicity of that and not added the entirety to it. The reality is this, yes, we get the gospel, we get saved, we get eternity with Jesus, but what we always tend to miss in our flesh is that it has transformational power. Look at me, right here, right now, that you don't have to be the person you used to be, that you don't have to live the way you used to live, that you don't have to walk in the bondage that you're currently walked in, that the script has been written, that you've been made right with God, and you can have this Greek word of gospel peace right here, right now. But then the trick is this, you have to choose to take off the wrong shoes, look at me, and put on the right ones. You have to choose to dig into the truth, the truth of the gospel, and you have to choose to live it and to wear it. Because in a world where everything's going, there's never been a time like this, there is information everywhere. There are opinions, there are emotions, there are combative emotions all around us that we have this kind of ping pong ball going off in our minds, don't we? It's like there's stuff flying all around us and earthly wisdom all around us, and we have to choose what we guard or what we wear ourselves with. And it's like a, it's like a fish in the ocean because the storm isn't an if, but just a when. And so here, here's something I learned this week. We'll close with this. The praise team can start coming back up. That I, I think I'm right. You can fact check it. I'm not a you know, I'm not very smart, like well, I'm not a scientist, but, but when it comes to the way that fish operate, they're, they're not very smart, but they know a few things. They know how to not die, or they try not to. And so when a storm of life is coming, a fish does something in the ocean. It swims down, and so the translation is, it digs into the gospel. It swims down past 25 feet, because here's what I learned, and fact check me. When you are living in an ocean of, that is disrupted, no matter how bad the storm is, that if you go below 25 feet, the water's calm. And so if a fish with the size of a brain that's like less than a peanut can figure that out, then here's what we're called to do as followers of Christ this morning. No matter how bad the storm is, 
if you stay in the dangerous territories of the storm and you treat your anxiety with temporary relief, all you're choosing to do is not swim deep. But if you're leaning on the promises of Jesus Christ and the gospel of peace, what you will choose to do is swim below that marker and grab onto those things that sustain so that the waters are calm. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus is already won. The victory is already in him. And just like the fish of the ocean, the storm's all around us, but we have the Holy Spirit within us from the inside out that allows us to go below that surface level and get to that place, place of calm. And everyone else around us is staying 25 feet within the realm of danger and freaking out. And we have this option to go, you know what? This is what's going on around me, but I'm going deep. I'm leaning in on truth. I'm wearing righteousness, and I'm putting on some peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. Help us to own this reality. Convict us where this is not happening. Convict us as to the means by which we're trying to find truth in our life that's not producing. Pull from us self-reliance and then protect us from the hand of the enemy that wants to kill us and destroy us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen.